Hey guys, before we start, just a quick reminder. Powerhouse Politics is now on Spotify. Head over there, follow along, and tell your friends. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, here we are. Uh, Washington going into the 4th of July weekend. And the president is busy at work. As you know, this is Energy Week. Uh, he's trying to get his health care bill over the line in the Senate. Uh, big bills on, on immigration uh, that, are, that are passing the House and headed to his desk. Uh, big, big week. What's he talking about today? I don't know. You'll have to check his Twitter feed, John. What do you, what do you, what do you got there? A little something, a little something about a certain morning show that he isn't watching at any time. John, there's something to me that's just so familiar yet still surprising when this happens and it rockets around and and you get this cycle of a tweet and a denunciation and a de- and defending and then you're back where it started. Is anyone any like truly shocked by this by by his behavior on Twitter anymore? I mean, this is I'm a little shocked. I'm a little shocked. I'll have to this admit. one, this one in particular. Yes, I am. So, okay. so just just so every, I'm sure everybody knows about this, but the but the, the dual tweets uh, that came out this morning at a time when when they are, I mean, they are actually trying to keep a focus. Actually, right. well, we'll talk about the focus another time. But 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 there are you know there's a lot going on. They, they they've got uh, a major campaign priority on in terms of uh, 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 immigration and specifically violent crime by undocumented immigrants in the country. Okay, major initiatives. Uh, passing Congress and uh, major effort on, on, on health care and, you know, it is energy week. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. But then he comes out, I heard po- poorly rated Morning Joe speaks badly of me, don't watch any war. Then how come low IQ, crazy Mika, along with Psycho Joe, came to Mar-a-Lago three nights in a row around New Year's Eve and insisted on joining me? And then he insults Mika... Brzezinski's appearance. I'm not going to repeat that, and, and I find it strange to say, but I don't think it is appropriate on our podcast to repeat the words of the president. Uh, yeah, I, I have to have to agree, and there's no need to. I, I, and we should note, Mika Brzezinski did say some mean things about him. I mean, that that happened. They, they were they were they were yes. personal things as well. But wow, does the president come back? And of course, the White House response up and down is that when he hits, he hits back. When he gets hit, he he hits back. So it's like a sticks and stones can break my bones, but I'm going to kick your butt. <laughs> it doesn't. I'm going to keep going at it. I'm really uh, look. I I think it's easy to overstate the impact of these things in the moment, uh, but the I'll tell you how it's received on the Hill, and you know this as well. And you're seeing Republican senators come out and saying, "Just stop it already. You're not." helping the cause. Whatever personal scores you need to settle, whatever your base needs, it's not helping. Think about who, what votes he needs to go after right now. They include, by the way, three Republican women, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Shelley Moore Capito, and they, all of them are distancing themselves from this comment and saying it's inappropriate. They all want it to stop. He's being begged by everyone to just get off of Twitter, but there's something about it that just, it's an irresistible lore. So you remember uh, George Stephanopoulos of ABC News had an interview with the president-elect uh, and the incoming first lady during the transition, and Melania Trump said uh, that the cause that she wanted to make her own as first lady, one of them, uh, was to combat cyberbullying. <laughs> and uh, so we, we, we reached out to the first lady's spokesperson uh, thinking that maybe this would be something she would want to condemn you know, as part of her effort to, to combat cyberbullying. And the statement we got was, I'm going to I'm going to read this directly. This is from her spokeswoman. Uh, at, 
as First Lady has stated publicly, when her husband gets attacked, he will punch back 10 times harder. So I think you can sum that up by saying when they go low, we go lower. <laughs> it's right. But there, there you go. At least they're not plagiarizing Michelle this time. I think that's, I think that's clear. Wow. I, look, everyone in the White House knows what they're getting with him, and that I guess that includes the First Lady. But to think that this is now presidential, he's, re- he's redefined it at every level. There's not even a close equivalent. Let's pull back the curtain for a second on how we operate. So this yeah. morning when these tweets hit, you and I had a conversation with some of our other colleagues and there was a debate over how to how to report, how to handle uh, the president's latest tweets. And you and I both made the case that we should just not – I mean, I mean, nothing wrong with reporting, but we shouldn't. Right. There, there's a the lot biggest, going not on. It's the biggest thing going on in the world. It is though, not yeah. the biggest thing going on, not the second or third biggest thing going on in Washington today related to the White House. As we mentioned at the top, we have the immigration developments. We have – uh, the health care uh, bill. There are developments, significant developments on the Russia investigation today. All of that. So that was the argument that you and I took, and I think that we were able to maintain that position for about seven and a half minutes. <laughs> You're being generous because it does what a presidential tweet does, which is it, it gets chewed through the entire cycle, and then you have the Speaker of the House coming out and attacking it. Democrats Susan are Con- always first, but then the Republicans come, yes. right? And and they're, they're, even among the Republicans, it's sort of the usual suspect. You know you're going to get a Lindsey Graham. You know you're going to get a Ben Sass, And then, then it's whoever else has a news conference. It, it follows a very predictable pattern, yep. but it subsumes everything else yep. so quickly. And it just does not help his own cause. Yeah, yep. So we are fortunate today on Powerhouse Politics uh, to be uh, joined by a prominent moderate Democrat. You know, they still exist. couple. There are some moderate Republicans oh, out there. Yeah, they're out there. Yeah, they're out there. We talk about them. That's right. Um, but uh, a, a lot going on. Uh, Senator Joe, Joe Manchin, who's going to join us in just a minute, uh, he would be a guy that would be right there if they're actually going to do something on, on health care that yeah. would be bipartisan. But, but they're, I mean, what I want to know, and this is, we'll have to ask uh, Senator Manchin, is is there any sense, has he been approached? Are they starting to talk? If uh, you know, as, the, as it looks like the Republican plan uh, may not get across the line. You know, what's the plan B? Oh, to climb in Mitch McConnell's head this week. He, he, he so rarely loses uh, that it, people were shocked that he had to pull that bill. There was always a sense that, oh, he's going to pull it off somehow. And, of course, they're scrambling late into the week to try to get something to the Congressional Budget Office, let them chew over it over the Fourth of July holiday. But so far they are engaging in what seems to be a partisan exercise. They're still, they're still trying to get the votes as they can. Uh, it's about as tough a, a vote counting thing as you can imagine. The tweet, tweets aside, this was going to be a heavy lift to get Republicans on board. Well, earlier on, you know, so it had been compared to McConnell's task in getting this thing uh, passed. It had been described as landing a 747 on a suburban driveway. <laughs> um, you know, he may be a legislative master tactician, but uh, but the problem that they face, and, they, and look, they may still get it done. Sure. I mean, it's not impossible. Sure, yeah. I mean, you, 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 you had declared. I, I firmly remember you had said that the House bill was dead. Which I, I was, was telling right. you that I it was, was right going that it was going to pass, and I think I ended up. I was being right before correct. being wrong, and you were wrong before yeah. being right. It's all right. But this one, uh, this one's a tough one to see. So, uh, so let's bring him in, the man from West Virginia. All right, we're joined now by Senator Joe Manchin from the state of West Virginia. Thank you for joining us here on Powerhouse Politics. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be with you all. So much to talk to you about. 
on any given day, uh, yeah. I mean, you're in the middle of it all. Uh, the, the intelligence committee, you're, you're the one of those Democrats that actually uh, on occasion doesn't mind working with Republicans. But I have to start uh, because the president has set the agenda uh, with the president's tweets this morning. What, what, what do you make of this, this deeply personal attack? That I'm, just made? Heard, that's, uh, I'm just hearing about that. It's just so sad that we've, that we've uh, lowered ourselves to that. I, I, I don't know what, I mean, it's just a shame. You, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't raised that way is all I can tell you guys. I just wasn't raised. In West Virginians, we still have some civility. So I understand they're saying, well, the defenders are saying, you know, when he's getting hit, he's going to hit back. Well, I understand that. I, I understand defending yourself, but uh, the personal, you know, the per, that was a very personal attack, and it's hopefully something they don't repeat. But this is not the first time he's done something like oh, this. Oh, I know. And, 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 and now it's, it's coming. I mean, this is the president of the United States. The, he, yeah. the, the, there is an example that is set by the president of the United States. There's a, you know, we talk about sports figures being role models. I mean, my God, he's, he's the president. But there's no excuse. There's not a bit of an excuse for that. For that type of action, those types of, of words, there's nothing. You can't excuse it. Uh, and thinking that... Uh, uh, it would scare people off of saying what they believe and what they feel is the truth, and they have the facts on their side because you're going to get attacked. I don't think that'll stop the press at all from doing their job. And, and of course, uh, it's a day, it comes on a day that the White House is making a big push on health care. So far, though, so far as we know, it's still a partisan push. Have you heard anything from the White House, any, any signals, any smoke signal, anything that suggests – that they are ready, willing, possibly to work with anyone with the D next to the name on health care? Well, I heard, uh, first of all, guys, you know I'm probably the most centrist Democrat we have right. here on, in, in the Senate. If anyone is going to hear, you're going to hear first. I think that's fair to say. I would be the bellwether person, yes. Did, did Joe, have you heard anything? Uh, Mitch McConnell has not called me, and nor has the White House. Uh, the president called me about two or three weeks when this, when this, whole, when this all started, before the House voted. Mm-hmm. And we talked. I said, Mr. President, he said, Joe, I want you to help me with health care. And I said, I'd be happy to help you with health care. I said, Mr. President, how I can help is this, give you a recommendation not to repeal, and let's start basically fixing what we know needs to be repaired. I said, if you tell a West Virginia you're going to repeal it, they're going to first say, wait, but what are you taking away? How come you're doing all this? If you tell them you're going to repair it, that means you're going to fix it and make it better. And you ought to be the Mr. Fix-It president. And But repealing it is not the way to go. And I said, so if you don't have repeal on the table and you want to talk about repairing, get D's and get R's. I'll bring five, six, seven, eight, ten D's. Get the same like-minded Republicans and let's go to work. And I think they just were committed to go down the repeal path. I really do. And they didn't back off. So where do I think they are today? I, I saw where uh, Mitch McConnell has said that the Democrats didn't want to work with them. Now, wait a minute. No one's ever talked to me about working. I've reached out. I've, Susan Collins and I have talked. Uh, I've talked to Bill Cassidy. I talked to uh, Shelley Capito this morning, my colleague from West Virginia. I said, you know, let me just tell you where I am, and I can tell you other Democrats are in the same place, if not even stronger. You cannot start talking about fixing the things that need to be fixed with the Affordable Care Act, which is the private markets. Uh, how we access the private markets, the products that we offer, so younger people will buy into it. You can't start talking about meaningful change when you start out with $600 billion of cuts. 
and most of those cuts go to the wealthiest Americans. And in order to make up for the cuts that you're giving money back to pay for the health care, you have to cut services of almost $800 billion. And knowing that the people aren't going to be able to pick up when the subsidies run out or their uh, extensions run out, 22, 23, 24 million people are going to be left without insurance. That means they're back to the old ways, uh, go to the emergency room at the highest cost, no preventive care whatsoever. If you're working and don't have insurance, you'll claim workers' comp claims. There's nothing with preventive care or wellness. That's not what we're willing to do. So I said, if you guys want to sit down and talk, and you can take that off and find a way that we can utilize and educate people more about how to use their health care, their newfound health care, more uh, in more efficient and effective manners, uh, count me in. I'll be there. So the, uh, people are casting this as a plan B, B for bipartisanship. But, but what stops? I mean, we've seen times in the past where leadership gets too far out on something, and what forms in the Senate is what's known as a gang. And you get a bipartisan well, group that comes together. Bi- if, they're, if they're saying they're in the plan B mode right today. No, I don't think we're there yet. I, I, I don't get that sense. Right, you don't, right, you don't right. Know. No, we're yeah. not. We haven't been yeah. called. Nobody. So, is, so my question is, do, do you think we get there where – where ultimately that's what has to happen. And is there anything rumbling now in terms of talking with your more centrist colleagues, D and R, that could drive the process forward and say, well, here are three or five principles that we could pass tomorrow with 60 or 70 votes? I would like to say that that there will be a centrist movement, a moderate centrist, which is really where things used to get done. Right. For the Ds and the Rs to find that moderate middle, if you will, and move forward with that. Is there enough that will come along? I don't know. Chuck Schumer says, absolutely, let's sit down and try to fix it. So he's given a total green light to whoever wants to sit down and start working in a meaningful way without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. He's all in. So he's not being, you know, I've not been stopped or any way, shape, or form because they know I'm reaching out all the time and talking to Susan and talking to Lisa and everybody else that I can on that side of the aisle. And there's ways that we can figure this out. Uh, You know, the high cost that we know is those people who had severe illnesses, pre-existing conditions, and you just can't leave them behind, so we're not going to throw them off and we're not going to leave them unprotected. How do we manage that better? We've got to find a way forward. I've heard people talk about in Medicare, we manage it there. How are they able to do it and why couldn't we do it? And if you're able to have a better uh, mix in the market and the product, and we're a capitalist society, we still have a market-driven system. People aren't going to basically be forced to buy a product they don't want. I haven't found a 26-year-old in West Virginia yet that's bought the product that was on the market they were forced to buy. And I haven't found many of them that were forced to pay the penalty either. Hmm. So we've got, it, we've, got it, there's, we've got work to do, but you've got to give them a reason to buy something. You've got to show them how it's going to help their lives and also how it's going to be rewarding in the long run. Uh, we've been great at marketing things. We've always been we're a consuming nation, and we're a great marketing nation. Let's use our skills and make sure that we have products, and the insurance companies aren't going to be able to gouge us. All right, I, I want to I get on to, um, uh, to, to what is going on in the, the Intel Committee, but, but what, just a quick fact check first. The, the okay. White House – well, first of all, Democrats and some of the Republicans that are objecting say that this Republican bill deeply cuts – Medicaid. The White House says that's just not true. It doesn't cut Medicaid. So, uh, well, there's not a provider out there today, gentlemen. There's not a provider in West Virginia 
that is not scared out of their bejesus right now of what's going to happen and how they're going to provide the services. For the first time, we'll be able to treat opiate addiction. For the first time, mental illness is able to be treated. Now we're able to basically uh, take care of our seniors and giving them free exams of, you know, from the standpoint of baselines and exams on, uh, on an annual basis so we know how well they're progressing. Uh, we've pre- prevented from uh, gouging. We haven't taken anybody off of, uh, out of the nursing homes. Uh, all of these things will go for naught. Uh, and uh, we're just not willing to go in that direction, and I don't think the American public, they'd have more support. Here's the sad scenario. The sad scenario is this. I thought uh, when a major policy change such as this, you should at least have some bipartisan. If you only get one or two or three, have some bipartisan. The Democrats in 2010 end up passing it with no bipartisan. They tried. They had open meetings. They had orderly, you know, an orderly procedure. There was amendments. There were even Republican amendments that were adopted. Then the Republicans wouldn't vote for it. So they made an effort. They tried. But it was still, I think, a flawed when you have nobody signing on but 60 Democrats. And it, but in your, your view, to be clear, this is a cut to Medicaid because services— It is extremely a big, deep cut to Medicaid, no matter what they say. It is cutting Medicaid. And they don't want to try to have, and I said, come on, guys, have a heart. If you're wanting to have efficiencies in the system, we can operate it better and more efficient and have savings. You don't save by throwing people off who need coverage. You save by educating them to use it more responsibly and in a more healthier environment. That's going to take a little time, but you can get there if you're committed to doing and doing it compassionately. They're not giving us that chance. So we we uh, uh, switching to the uh, to the uh, Russia investigation. ABC News broke this morning that the House Intel Committee wants to talk to Keith Schiller, uh, the president's uh, longtime bodyguard. Now uh, he has a title, which I think might be a new title. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of it before. Director of Oval Office Operations, um, but he was the guy, of course, who hand delivered the letter firing Comey to the FBI headquarters. Uh, is the Senate Intel Committee going to want to talk to Mr. Schiller as well? Well, I'm sure they're wanting to talk to whoever and everybody that they have in the radar right now. They've been pretty mum on this right now, and we have our staff going through it very diligently. But, you know, trying to keep from leaks and things of this sort, they've just been working diligently, and they'll bring people in systematically as they can, get the facts, and then be able to cross-check the facts to find out what directions we go and what recommendations are made. What's the what's the big picture for you right now? Because you're you're weeding through this witness by witness and, and, and briefing by briefing, and a lot of it's classified, but what is the yeah. big picture of where this investigation is going? Well, the big and, picture is this. The American public needs to know this is for real. This is no just a little I spy game back and forth. What they have done, what the Russians have done, and first of all, if you think the Russians are our allies and our friends and they wish us well, you better think again. Uh, Putin and the oligarchs and all of his top brass, uh, this is the only way they can try to equal things out and be recognized in the world. Uh, and they can't compete any other way, so they're going to compete through cyber warfare. Untruths, lies, innuendos, fake news, everything they can use. And this is all documented. This is not classified at all. It's all open source. Everything has been documented, what he has done and what he directed, Mr. Putin, and what the Russians have done, and they made a business out of it. 
They went to greater lengths in this past election of 2016 than ever before. If they think they can be successful in making the public believe that a person was not elected legitimately, and that person uh, no use to go vote because our vote doesn't count, doesn't matter, they have it controlled and rigged anyway, if they're able to do that, then they have succeeded, and we're not going to let them do it. Okay, two quick questions you can answer yes or no. First of all, have you seen any evidence that points to collusion between the Russians and the Trump campaign? Uh, If you're saying, (laughs) let's let's refer directly to the president, no. Trump campaign. Uh, That's a big question mark right now. A big question mark. But have you seen any evidence that points to that? Well, we're seeing a lot. We haven't. I, I, until everything is verified, I'm not going to even say. I'm just saying, leave the question mark there because that's an open. If there's people, did they did they uh, sell themselves off as being someone close up and carrying information back? Those that that's the thing that the staffs are going through right now to see how much validity this this has. So uh, as of right now, I haven't. And I do know that everyone's working very diligently, and we'll have to wait to see what comes forward. And second question, if all that Jim Comey has said so far <clears throat> is true, if his version of events is the accurate one and the truthful one, does that amount to obstruction of justice? Let me just put it uh, the way I, I read this committee that we have. are 17 of us on the committee. Uh, there's uh, 15, and then we have two at large, which is Jack Reed and John McCain. So there's eight Republicans and seven Democrats. I truly believe with all my heart that the 15 people we have will make decisions based on about the country and not about the party and not about the person. So uh, if Mueller comes back, and that's what we're waiting on, uh, what he recommends uh, is the direction I think that this committee will go. I really believe that they have that much confidence. There might be a few that break, but I'm telling you the majority of that committee is going to make a tough decision, whatever it may be, uh, accept what Mr. Mueller gives us and be able to move forward from there. And I really believe that will happen. So it's not a witch hunt, I guess. It's not a witch hunt. I don't, and I've said that I, would not, I will not partake in a witch hunt. I've seen a witch hunt. Benghazi was a witch hunt. I, I've seen it. I went over to the house, and I wanted to be in that room and watch. Not one person asked what went wrong. How can we prevent this from happening and never let this happen again? How can we fix it if there was miscommunication? Whatever was wrong. No one wanted to find out how to repair something, how to fix it, how to prevent it. That was just going right for it. If you've heard our in, in our open meetings, and I can tell you in our closed meetings, we're looking for what could have, how do we stop it, what went wrong, how do we prevent this from happening. We're not accusing anybody. We're not accusing any one person or any group of people or any campaign. We're just following following the facts. All right. Governor Manchin, and I can still call you Governor. <laughs> you oh, get I'm that sorry. title for life. <laughs> that was a good title. It really was. It was the good old days. Yeah. Yeah, those were the days. All right. Thank hey, you for joining really us. Always great to talk you. to you. I, I appreciate being with you all, and thank you for doing what you're doing. All right. Thank take you, care. Senator. All right. So, you know, Rick, he is right. I, I will fact check something in real time here. If, if there is to be bipartisanship to be found in the United States Senate, it's probably going to be found in the vicinity of Joe Manchin. I think that's right. And, and there, there's that window there. They may end there. They may end up there at some point. Uh, they're not there yet. They're waiting by the phone. We'll see if it, yeah. if it develops. I'm a little skeptical, but it's not out of the question. 
I mean, so, look, if, if, if this bill goes down, and, and, and I don't know, I mean, they may pull a rabbit out yeah, of yeah. that, but if, but if it goes down, there are serious problems with the uh, with, with, with Obamacare as it stands right now uh, that affect real people in real states who have real people representing them in Congress. Uh, there's going to be a need for some bipartisan fixes. And there just you, is. It, Mitch McConnell is saying that now, but he's saying it by means of a threat. It's if, if, if we Republicans Heaven don't shape forbid, up. you're going to have to talk to Democrats. Uh, we're going to have to be at the table with Schumer, is what he told you the other you day. Know, you know, but i, I got to say, and, and, and uh, maybe next time we have uh, Senator Manchin on, this is uh, a good question. But, uh, you know, a, a lot of the blame, obviously, for the current, I mean, the blame for the for the totally partisan approach comes from those that are pursuing it, and that's the Republicans. But you know as well as I do that, Many of those Democrats in the Senate are basically have the attitude that Mitch McConnell had in the beginning of of of, of the uh, of the Obama years. They don't want to work with right. this president. Right. They, they they got one goal. They want to bring this president down. And they want a Democratic majority in Congress. Yeah, 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 that's right. That's right. And and, and that's I don't I don't think Manchin falls into that category. I think there are many others who you know there are others that don't. But but I mean I don't I don't I don't know that. There's necessarily a deal to be struck between Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer on health care. No, but there are there are things that you can get bipartisan buy-in for, and that's where this the idea of this the centrist group emerging that 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 uh, that, that Manchin a gang, references a gang. a gang. That's how Senate. That's how Senate gangs are good things in the Senate, of course. Yeah. Uh, that that could be that could be where the answer is, but they have to go through the motions and try repeal or replace. They, that, they, I think McConnell's made that clear that they haven't given up on this yet, and they're going to have the the holiday to sort it out. All right, so next week, 4th of July, 4th of July recess. Congress will be out of session. There will be more powerhouse politics next week. Uh, but we've got a special treat before we leave today to kind of bring you through 4th of July. Rick, you sat down with a guy who played for the greatest football team in the history of professional football, the Dallas Cowboys, Deion Sanders. He also played for the greatest baseball team in the history of professional he baseball, the, the New York Yankees. The no, Mets? the New York Yankees, oh, as a matter of fact. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and I, so this was, this was quite a scene. In Colorado Springs, I was out there covering the, the Koch brothers. Wait, wait uh, a minute. Wait, we're talking about Deion Sanders. You were out where? I saw Colorado Springs covering Colorado. the Koch brothers. Koch had, brothers. What yes. do you mean? The... You, you've heard of them. You've heard you mean of Charles and David? Charles and, and David uh, Koch. They've got some money. They've got some uh, conservative ideology that uh, uh, they spend some money on campaigns. What does uh, that have to do with Deion Sanders? Well, that's the interesting thing. So uh, amid the, the sea of millionaires and billionaires and, and kind of anonymous businessmen was this guy with a big smile, Neon Dion, primetime Sanders. Turns out he uh, had an opportunity to meet the Cokes um, and, and actually dine with Charles Koch a couple of months ago. And uh, they have joined forces for a new initiative to, to fight poverty in Dallas. And get this, John, they're going to raise $21 million to do it. Do you know why it's $21 million? Tell me. Deion Sanders, war number? 21. Wow. They know so, what they're doing. But before, you, before we uh, kick to this, this interview, and I am, I am, I am jealous, um, <laughs> We we were looking at just trying to get refreshed on because I, I mean my vivid memories of Deion Sanders are as as a cowboy and of course a cowboy who was one of the few you know NFL stars to make the crossover into baseball you know Bo Jackson did it but it's a very rare thing but the amazing thing is looking back over his stats as a baseball player and clearly he was a better football player yeah. than he was a baseball player but as a baseball player. 
He led the league one year in triples, and he only played like ninety some games. Yeah, ninety something games. That was with the with the Atlanta Braves. It's in, it's incredible. He was just an with thirty eight stolen bases one year. Again, he played less than a hundred games. He had thirty eight stolen bases. Truly, one of the greatest athletes of all time. You have to say, and what he did in, in both sports, and uh, really a dynamic presence uh, who has has made some unlikely friends. Deion Sanders, welcome to Powerhouse Politics, our podcast. Uh, so, Powerhouse Politics, I like You like that name? Yeah. Good, good. We got to, we'll use that in the promos if, you, uh, if you're okay with it. So how does Deion Sanders partner up with the Koch brothers? Walk us through how you make this relationship, how you make this connection. Um, Pastor Omar Jawa from Urban Specialist, as well as Stand Together, invited me to come to a seminar in January. I had no idea what I was going to and once I arrived, I was like, oh, my God. And then I started watching the different panels. So I'd go into some of the breakout sessions. And I was amazed at what was transpiring right before my eyes and could not believe that this is the first time I've heard of it. And to hear Charles Koch and, and Chase Koch and a multitude of others communicate the vision and mission and the dream and the aspirations and the goals that they had, it was a a shared likeness and next thing you know I'm here because I'm all in so and you had an opportunity to meet Charles Koch yes as part of this as well and I read Good Prophet you read Good Prophet <laughs> you read his book that's the way to his heart yeah. you know that yeah uh, talk about that relationship I mean you, you you mentioned that he's been unfairly demonized at times what did you learn about Charles Koch that isn't out there in the public well, realm in your you mind you gotta understand when you're able to instantaneously provoke change you're gonna be a target because he has that ability, and not just with the financial means, with the intellect. First of all, Charles Koch is a very, very intelligent man. Let's get that straight, as well as Chase. And you got to love it. And his forward thinking, um, you know, it's like you're driving a car down the interstate and you see this lane opening up. Charles has already seen that lane opening up probably a minute prior to when you're seeing it. So his vision is unparalleled. And to be able to partner and to, to sit in the same room and, and understand the things that he's trying to accomplish, why not? Why not be all in? Because I've been all in on my own and I've made a plethora of mistakes because I lead with the heart oftentimes and not oftentimes with the mind. So talk about what kind of work you hope to do with this this new initiative. Um, Prime Five. Um, establish awareness. First and foremost, uh, provoke changes that aforementioned. Get people uh, a hand up, not just a hand out. Because if they're willing to work, I want to meet them where their point, uh, where that point is established. Um, dealing with the youth, the disenfranchised, the addiction, the personal debt, um, and so forth. There's so many means that that we can attack. And, and oftentimes it's just for the lack of resources. And I'm not talking about financial resources, uh, the connectivity that we may have with a young man or a woman that desires to be an entrepreneur. And we have a, 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 a I don't know what to call it. A, what do they call it? A section youth entrepreneurs, what mm -hmm. we call it. Uh, a social entrepreneur, a social, like, yeah. like Kyle Stupka and youth entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So we have that in-house that we could connect these youngsters to. So talk about the, the the politics that surrounds this. I know you're not playing politics I with this. I don't play that game. You don't play that game. I play to win. 
right? I play to win. I don't play the political game, not whatsoever. But you know there's a political game around this. No, I don't. I think uh, we're talking about the Coke brothers. Well, the people I'm playing with, I don't think they play games. First of all, I think they win games, but I don't think they play games. I think they dominate games, but I don't think they play games. I think they want to really help this country in all facets, and that's not a game. That's real because the game that people play is not Charles Koch's reality. His reality is I want to help people. This man could not only buy the island, own the island, sleep on the island, have a yacht sitting out there on the island right now as we speak but he's here trying to provoke change i think that should be applauded are you ready to be tagged as someone who's associated with the Koch brothers you're okay with that yes is he ready to be tagged with someone that's associated with me <laughs> <laughs> where's the bigger downside <laughs> yeah. i think both of us have been shot at but we you see that we have bulletproof best yeah and we don't care you, you mentioned something about being booed by stadiums full of ninety thousand people is there yeah. is there a similarity that you see in in being in the public eye in sports and in politics yes. that you can relate yes because you really don't know what's behind the curtain you know you you being booed and you being naysayed just because you have a tremendous gift because they don't want you to exercise your gift against their current team. What's the difference in the political realm? Mm-hmm. The Koch family has a tremendous gifts. They're very successful at what they do. They're probably the best at what they do in our country. And why should they be attacked just because they're exercising their gift in different realms? So uh, finally, a couple football questions. I'm curious your take uh, on the... The, the the head injury issue, the concussion issue that's come to light with so many former players. Do you feel like there's there's a, a bigger realization now or there needs to be more focus? We know darn well what we signed up for. Yeah. This is what trips me up, and I really want you to do your homework and research on this. Yeah. You're talking about professional players. Where's the attack on the NCAA? Who has the most players, the NFL or the NCAA? By far NCAA. Why is there not a personal attack on the NCAA when it regards to concussions? You know why? Because the NFL lists what they make. How much does the NCAA make a year? Billions. We have no billions, but we have no idea. So where is the financial attack is going to be? I watched a multitude of players in college football get their heads knocked off on the scout team. Rudy's was were my guys. Mm-hmm. I love all the Rudy's because they were my guys. I the walk-ons. That, yeah, I'm that kind of guy, man. I want to help the the people that that has hope of, of slowly losing hope and not having an opportunity. That's always been me. And these guys got their heads knocked off. They shouldn't be in a soul train line lined up versus the NCAA to get rewarded. If that's the case, if you're going to attack the NFL, let's go after the NCAA. But then let's go take it back to high school football as well. Where's the attack on them? You, you see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. You're saying at every level. You at know. every level. Because if you're going to attack someone, make it fair. Make it a level, a level playing field. Don't just attack the NFL just because they make money. Billions and billions of dollars, and you know they do. Finally, my, my co-host Jonathan Carl's a big Cowboys fan. Yeah. What are the chances this is this this year? A lot of, a lot of playoff frustration in Dallas. I was just at camp a couple weeks ago. Jason Garrett was a former teammate and a dear friend. Now, Wade Wilson, the quarterback coach I played with, threw me my first touchdown pass. Jerry Jones is one of my favorite owners, if not the favorite owners. Rich Dalrymple, PR guy there, is probably my favorite PR guy in the country. Uh, I like them. I like their chances. But you have two phenomenal players that this is their sophomore gear. 
yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. I can't wait to see how that transpire. I love what they're doing offensively, and they can't be stopped offensively, but defensively, they've lost a multitude of players in the secondary, and that could damage you. All right, spending time at training camp and uh, here in Colorado Springs, Deion That's Sanders. Good. That's good. You saw we, 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 we show diversity. There. I like that. That's what it's all about. Yeah. All right, Deion, it's a pleasure. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. So, John, there you have it. Uh, a lot of kind words for the Dallas Cowboys as well. He thinks he thinks this is the Cowboys year. I think you might agree with that. I'm not I, sure. I, I think Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott. The, the, this is this is the best that we've seen since the days of Aikman and Emmitt Smith. Whoa, Starback and Tony bull. Dorsett. Finally, some bold predictions out of John Carl. John Meredith and you know, trying come for on. months to get him to come firmly down on anything, and he finally does on the case of the Dallas Cowboys. All right, that does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. We'll be back after the 4th of July. You can check us out anywhere you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Let us know how you're doing. And Spotify, dude. Spotify. We're, Spotify. we're all over the place. Uh, let, let us know what we're doing. You can hashtag us at Powerhouse Politics. Listen next time. <laughs>